0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. For those of you online, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us here as we worship the Lord together. It is. Uh, it's a beautiful morning. If you like fall, like I do, uh, it's such a refreshing time to come out and to be reminded of He who created all things and 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 why we're here today. So glad that you're here to worship with us. You know, as we think about coming to worship the Lord and celebrating Him, there are things that we have to celebrate in this world. I know later on this week we'll be celebrating the the marriage of Paul and. Nina Garofalo, Nina Garofalo and Paul Camargi. Uh, it'll be a great time to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. Today, we're celebrating a couple of very special birthdays. We have Betty Carl, who's turning, well, I won't say her age because that's, that's a big thing. 34. 34, yes. <laughs> 34. And what a blessing it is that we can celebrate with her and remind her that we love her. and We're so thankful that God has placed. In our community, and of course, Amy Disney, who you can't see right now, but she is hard at work in the booth, helping to make today happen. And of course, we are so thankful that God has placed her in our community of faith as well. So happy birthday! My gift to you is I will not sing a solo of Happy Birthday for you. So that's how much I love both of you and all of you online as well. Hey, as we as we enter into this time of worship, I wonder if you'll allow me to ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Let's quiet our hearts in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are here because of you. Lord, we we know that there are circumstances in our lives that are very pressing and, and, and ask much of our attention and our hearts. But Lord, at the end of the day, or even in the midst of the day, we want to recognize that that it's because of you that we are here. It's because of you that we will persevere through the challenges and the circumstances of our lives. It's because of you that we can celebrate things like a, a birthday and a, a, a wedding, a, a day to begin a, a new season in, in a relationship, the relationship of marriage. And so, Lord, we are here to worship you. We thank you that, that you have carved out the space for us in the week where we can quiet our hearts and minds, where we can, we, we can intentionally place the burdens that are in our hearts aside and trust that you are, you are in control. It will be fine. That you know, in strange throwaway they'll still be there when we, when, when we go out into the world from our worship. But Lord, this time of worship is vital. And so may your Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts, not just to, to uh, encourage us, but to strengthen us and to equip us to walk by faith, to trust in Jesus and to trust in only Jesus for our hope. And so we do that now, Lord. May your Holy Spirit work in us as we pour out our praise to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Before we begin this song, I want to ask you a question. Uh, And it may come across as, as a bit of a joke, but it's not. Has your singing ever made it difficult for you? To truly worship Jesus. Yes. 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 Thank you. I wasn't expecting a response, but that's what I'm looking for. That's great. Yes. Right? Now, it could be different for some people. Right? You might not think that your voice is good. And so your your praise is um, inhibited. Right? Maybe you think your voice is great. And so actually your humility is inhibited. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, you know, I know folks who would be like, oh, I want to praise Jesus. I want to sing, but oh, my voice is no good. And I feel like the Lord would ask those people to like cut loose. Then there are some folks who have spent $100,000 to learn how to sing well. I happen to be one of them. And I constantly have to check my heart when I'm worshiping the Lord Because there are moments in the middle of a moment of praise where I can go, Ooh, I could do this with me. And it becomes about me all of a sudden, right? The singing becomes about me, not about the Lord. Now, I I say this. I say this because we are in an interesting season. And uh, often when the Lord wants to get at something inside of you, he takes away the thing you rely on. So I've been thinking a lot about this especially because of a conversation I had last week with one of our congregants who said, "You know, I really listened to you this week when when you said don't, you know, don't worry about singing. Listen to Jesus. See, meditate in this moment." And at the end of the service, this person came to me. They were tears in her eyes and said, "I just had an experience with Jesus that was, that was different than anything I had experienced before. I really meditated. I really uh, listened to what you were singing and what you were saying, and I can't explain it right now, but something, something happened. It's so easy to make your worship a crutch, And that crutch gets in the way of relying on Jesus or even listening to him. So this morning, we're going to sing a very simple song. The more I seek you, the more I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I I love you. We're going to sing a very simple song this morning. And in the middle of it, we're going to give space. We're going to give some space for you to just commune with Jesus. Now, there are a lot of expressions of worship. Some people like tambourines. Some people like flags. Some people swing snakes. There's a whole lot of stuff going on, right? I've been to all of those churches, okay? Um I actually once lost a job as a worship pastor because I suggested to, the, to this church that the congregation should listen to Jesus about how he wants them individually to worship him today. They said, what do you mean, listen to Jesus? I said, well, sometimes people who like to stand up and wave their hands around and be seen, Jesus is asking them to sit down and listen. Sometimes people who like to hide and never be seen, Jesus is asking them to stand up and be counted. So this morning, as we sing, I just want you to listen. Dan already said it. He said, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us during our worship. Let the Lord deal with you this morning in worship as we sing this simple, beautiful song. Good
2: morning, Trinity. Our Bible passage for today comes to us from John chapter 9, verses 30 through 41. I am going to be reading from the New King James Version. The man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sin, and you are teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. And the, then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. This is the
0: reading of the word. Amen. Thank you, Ola, for that. That's uh, always a blessing when we can worship God together through the reading of God's word, through the, the listening to and the hearing of God's word. I, I love how here in, in John chapter 9, Jesus becomes something of a crossroads where the world becomes divided in this judgment. Some will go some way, some will go others. And, and, and only in Christ can we see the, the, the crossroads that are before us. And so I'm excited for how we will walk through chapter 9 together this morning. Now, as we do go through chapter 9, I want you to think about something. I want something to be in our, in our minds, because as we think about the things that grow in our life, what are the things that grow in our life? We have our grass. We know coming through the summer that we have to cut our lawn almost every week, if not more than once a week, right? Our belt sizes grow. We oftentimes know that around the holidays that, that we notice, so we've got to extend out to the next belt loop, uh, or maybe this is just me, actually. But anyway, we know I like to talk about food. Chia pets. Chia pets grow, right? What about our faith? When you think about your faith, is your faith something that you, when you think about, when you imagine, when you, when you kind of have a, a perspective of, is your faith something that grows? Or is it something you have or you don't have? See, I think we typically view faith as something we either have or we don't have. If it was to be our status on social media, it would say things like, uh, I'm a believer, or I've been born again, or I believe in Jesus. It almost depicts this snapshot moment in your life where you made a decision, and that's marked in time, but that's all that really describes See, I think these headlines betray the nature of what our faith truly is, the the nature of what faith does in our lives and how it shapes our character and our being. I think it's more helpful for us to think of faith as more of a journey or a process than a snapshot moment in our lives. In the Bible, Jesus says that if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But, but consider this for a moment. Why, why didn't Jesus say if you have faith like a ball bearing or faith like a pebble, you will be able to move mountains? See, it's because those things don't really grow, whereas a mustard seed, if we have this image put up, you know, this tiny, small seed, this seed which may have been considered the, the least of these among seeds, becomes a, a giant tree, grows larger than, Jesus says it grows larger than any plant in the garden. Right, this tiny seed has this process of growing into this gigantic garden or gigantic plant in the garden that's larger than any other plant. See, we're not wrong to consider the power that some small seed can become so large. But but the problem is when we think about faith, we oftentimes think of the beginning and the end, and we don't really think about that faith is the fullness of that process from when it grows from a seed to a giant tree that there is this growing process that makes up all of what it means to have faith. See, I think what Jesus was challenging his disciples to consider is that, that it's not so much that we should see uh, our, our faith as, as, as receiving a high school diploma or a college diploma, but more a, 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 an aspect of our character and our being that grows and grows and grows as we learn to trust more and more in our relationship with Jesus and only Jesus. In John chapter 9, Jesus is revealing something about his nature that, it, that shapes our faith, that, that moves our faith from this tiny mustard seed to, to, to us capturing this perspective of faith that allows it to grow into a giant plant, right? He, he reveals an answer to a question that on a human level, I guarantee each and every one of us is asking whether we recognize it or not. Every human being on this planet, whether they realize it or not, whether they recognize it or acknowledge it or not, wrestles with three questions over the course of their lifetime that they want to know answers to. They want to know, where do I come from? And this is not going to be resolved by ordering one of those DNA kits online that you can send away and find out where your heritage is from. That's all beneficial and meaningful and, and, and enjoyable to do, but it doesn't truly answer the question, where do I come from? There's the question of what's wrong with this world. Every one of us understands that this world is not how it should be, that it's not good, that there are plenty of things that are wrong with this world, and yet we wrestle to understand what is it that's actually wrong with this world? Why is the world the way it is? And then the third question is what's going to fix this world? What's going what's gonna to undo the famine that we see, the, the, the violence that we see across our nation and across the world? What's going to restore peace? What's, what's going what's to deal with the suffering of those who are going without? See, I think we all wrestle with these three questions, and I can guarantee that, that everyone in this room, everyone gathered with us online wrestles with these three questions, if not now, at some point in their life. They will reach this moment where they will realize that this world is not all that it is. And that until they grasp these questions themselves, they will not be satisfied. Now, here's the thing. As you answer these three questions, I think that's, that, that becomes the, the foundation for which what we would describe as your worldview. Your perspective about not just this world and where you've come from, but where you're going and what will what will ultimately make a difference in this world and in your life and in the lives of your family members. And though I can guarantee that we all hold to a worldview, I can't guarantee that we all hold to a, a Christian worldview. Broadly speaking, a Christian worldview recognizes that we've been created by the God of the Bible, and that part of his creation, his not part of his entire creation, was actually broken in sin. That sin is the root cause of all that is wrong with this world. Not not just our personal sin, like when I, you know, if I were to snap at my children or my wife and and kind of lose my temper. We're not talking about that kind of sin. We're talking broader, bigger, this metaphysical reality that sin has broken the peace that God created our world with. And so we're left with that third question, how do we fix it? How do we fix what is seemingly unfixable? Well, the answer is found in only Jesus. O- only Jesus can, can, can come and fix what is broken in this world. Only the one who created this world can, can enter into the creation which he made. Bear the curse of the brokenness of sin and undo the damage that's been done. We read in in John chapter 9, the first few verses of of the chapter, as he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the, the works of God might be displayed in him. See, what we understand about Jesus, what, what we, when we consider the life of Jesus, what, we understand that his life, his being, his presence in this world gets to the point of answering some of these very basic questions that we all wrestle with. Jesus was sent with a purpose. He was sent with the purpose to shine a spotlight on the Father, to shine a spotlight on the work of the Creator and what he's doing to fix what is broken. Last year, my wife and I were traveling, we, we were at uh, JFK Airport, and we had some time before our flight was to take off, and so we were walking around, and, and wouldn't you know it, we saw uh, an actor named Michael Kelly walking through the airport, and Tars a bit more bold than I am, I don't know if, if you've caught that yet, but, but uh, you know, both of us are kind of like, you know, we've just been watching, I'm sorry, the show was uh, Jack Ryan, <laughs> That was a little bit of a, a brain lapse there. Sorry about that. Jack Ryan, right? It's, that, it's the, the Tom Clancy novel that was made into a, a movie, and now they're making it as a, a TV series on Amazon. And, and, and Michael Kelly plays this FBI agent, I think, uh, or this like kind of office head down in South America. And, uh, and So anyway, we're, we had just been watching that, and, and we see him walking through the airport. I'm like, Tara, Tara, I think that's him. I think that's him. So she starts shouting, Mike, Mike! You know, she's, she's pointing attention at him. And, and I'm kind of like getting nervous and, and, and like, not pretending I don't know her because I love her, but, but, but certainly, you know, a little bit nervous. And, 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 and his response, uh, may, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't hear her, but I'm pretty sure everyone in that area, in that, that kind of gate area heard her. Mike, Mike, you know, but he just kind of put his head down and, and kept going. He didn't want the spotlight. He didn't want the attention, Right. He, he didn't want people's attention drawn to him and to see, hey, here's that actor from the show on Amazon. Now, that's not true when it comes to Jesus. Jesus isn't looking for, for just attention, but his purpose in coming to this earth was to, to make known the works of the Father, to, to shine a spotlight on the Creator, to, to shine a spotlight on the Father in heaven. That's what we hear in John 9, verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, in the ancient Near East, the, the religions that often understood affliction understood that if someone was afflicted, it was oftentimes because of some personal sin that they had committed. I mean, think of, think of Job's story. And when his friends came and sat with him, they tried to convince him, Job, you must have done something to, to attract God's judgment the way you have. I mean, it's got to be the reason why all these things are happening to you. You must have done something, Job. But Jesus' point is, no, no, no. Uh, afflictions in our lives are not always there because we've made bad choices and we've sinned. Now, granted, I've made sinful choices in my life, and I've dealt with the consequences of it. So it's not completely irrational to think that that could be the case. But Jesus's point is, sometimes our afflictions have no other purpose than to shine glory upon the works of God in our lives, to see what God can do. And Jesus is there as a spotlight, shining it on this man, saying, no, 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 this man hasn't been born because of some sin, uh, born blind because some sin that his parents committed, or because of something he's done. But that God's glory could be seen in him. Let me show you, Jesus says. Jesus is drawing an, our attention to God in a way far greater than Tara drew the attention to Michael Kelly in JFK's terminal. Now, what we need to understand is this: this. This purpose that Jesus fulfills when he comes to this earth has been long anticipated. It shouldn't be a a surprise to Jesus' disciples that this is what he would do when he came. Because this is something that's been written about for many, many years before Jesus came. In Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah the prophet declares, Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Now, Isaiah's not describing this crowd where all of a sudden people who are deaf will be able to hear and people who, have, who are blind will be able to see. He's talking about a spiritual reality that when God's chosen one comes to this earth, he will do a work that, that, that actually undoes the blindness that we are living in, a spiritual blindness so that we can see God's truth, that we can see truth as it is and live into that place. Like we sang in the song, the more I seek you, I know you. The more I know you, the more I love you. There's this path of our faith that leads us into this deeper place of love and affection for God. And it happens when Jesus, it begins when Jesus restores sight to the blind. A- a- and, un- a- a- and unplugs our ears so we can hear clearly the truth that He declares. But it's not just that Isaiah anticipated this. This is something Jesus declared when He when He came. After you know, in, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is uh, He goes into the desert and He's tempted by Satan, and then He He comes through those forty days of temptation, and, and, and He goes into the temple on the Sabbath. And he stands up in the temple and declares the the words of, let me just read it, it's not going to be on the screen, but he declares these words of Isaiah 62. Uh, And and not only does he declare them, but but he tells the people there that, listen, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, in your presence. What you have long waited for has come, it's now, and it's found in only Jesus, Listen to what what, uh, the prophet Isaiah declares over 700 years before Jesus comes. The nations shall see your righteousness and and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. I'm reading the wrong passage. Yeah, I'm going to keep reading. No, I'm not going to keep reading. I'm going to go over to Luke. I'll read it in the gospel. I thought it was Isaiah uh, chapter chapter, uh, 62, but it's not. It's in Luke. And it's in Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to talk out loud while I find it. (laughs) Luke chapter 4, Jesus walks into the temple, and he says these words. Ready? Wait for it. Wait for it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then just a few verses later, he stands up and says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. Jesus' purpose was to restore sight to the blind, but he's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual blindness. And for this man born blind, he becomes this walking, talking illustration of the power of God in Jesus to restore sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, to restore our spiritual blind, or to fix our spiritual blindness. Now, here's what I want us to consider. We put our hope in many different things in this world. Some of it good, and, but some of it not so good, and ultimately, none of it can provide what we truly hope for. None of it can actually provide this healing, this restoration in the depth of our being that we truly long for. This ability to see truth, to see the world for what it is, and to understand God's plan and what he will do and live in that hope to know that there is a future where God is victorious, even as he is today. We hope in things like money and medicine. We hope in, in one another we hope in governments or 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 even at humanity as a whole that, that you know we, we say hey things are bad but humanity can pull through this we can do this but each of these examples where we find our hope have, have let us down or they will let us down at some point we can we can talk to someone we can we can ask someone and they'll tell us listen you're hoping in that and that's that's wonderful that you have hope in something but let me tell you that's not something that's going to provide what you hope for it's not going to be faithful In the end, only in Jesus can we truly have the hope that we long for. Because only in Jesus, only in Jesus is the creator and the creation brought together in one. Only Jesus is both God and man. Only Jesus brings what is divine and what is created and brings them together in himself. That we can find the true fix that our world needs. Only the one who created us can fix what is broken in us? Now think about this for a minute. If your car is broken, can it fix itself? No. Right? When, when your gallbladder stops working, can you just kind of like grin and bear it and eventually it'll figure itself out and start working again? No. No. Why do we believe then that when there's something broken inside of us, when there's something broken deep down in our soul that it's something we can just find a way to overcome in our own strength, that that somehow we can fix it ourselves. I think this is a lie that Satan has been telling since the Garden of Eden, since he encouraged Adam and Eve that they could be like God themselves if they only ate of the fruit of the tree of of, of the knowledge of good and evil, That, that somehow the created ones could be like their creator. See, only Jesus, only Jesus bringing the Father near to us and touching us with the divine can fix what sin has broken in our souls. See, there's, there's something broken within you this morning. There's something broken within me, and, and we can't fix it ourselves. We can't outthink it or, or, or outrationalize it. We, we can't outfeel it. <laughs> We, we, can't, we can't find uh, what's, you know, a five-step plan that's worked for this person is going to work for us, too. We can't fix with what's broken within ourselves. So when Jesus heals the man born blind, what he's really doing is illustrating for us all the power of God to transform what is broken into something healed and restored to the way that it's meant to be. In verses 6 and 7 of our passage, after Jesus again reiterates that he's the light of the world, John tells us that Jesus, he spat on the ground. He literally spits on the ground, and he makes mud with the saliva and the dirt, and then he anoints the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of shalom, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. See, when, when Jesus spit on the ground, it was like heaven and earth collided. When, when part of the heavenly DNA came forth from Jesus and hit the dirt, there's this picture that's drawn where when God comes near to his creation, when he enters into his creation and makes something new from that, that dusty dirt and applies it to our hearts that what was once blind can now see. But no amount of dirt that that man tries to splash up in his face or or toss in his face is going to help his situation at all. Not until the Son of God confronts him where he's at, contributes his own life to this man's life, and applies the healing that only Jesus can apply can this man actually see. See, whether you're able to see this and admit it today or not, we're actually all born spiritually blind, just like this man was born physically blind. We, we are born into our sin, the Bible says. We're born into not just our own personal sin, but the, 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 the nature of creation is sin, characterized by sin. And we're born into that place. And as we're born into that place, we are born spiritually blind to the reality in which God has created this earth. But the Father loves his creation too much to leave us that way. And so he's not done. In fact, he, he, he's been speaking of this day since that day in the garden when he spoke about the, the seed of the woman defeating the seed of the serpent. And, and, and that seed is Jesus Christ. When God sent his son to this earth to heal our blindness and to restore our sight. Am I saying that, that Jesus is a piece of spit? No, I'm not. But what I'm I am saying is that Jesus often taught in parables and he often gave his listeners his audience this physical picture of what he was doing internally spiritually in our lives in the lives of his creation his children because of sin you don't have to you don't have it within you to fix your own spiritual blindness I don't have it within myself to fix my own spiritual blindness you don't have it within yourself to fix your own spiritual blindness What we need is Jesus' divinity to break into our lives and to heal what uh, what we cannot heal apart from him. So if you want God to do that deep inner work of healing in your life, you have to accept the help that comes from beyond yourself. That's a hard thing for us, isn't it? Not only to admit that we need help, not only to admit that we might be blind, but to admit that we can't fix it ourselves. And we can't pull out a book. I love books. I love researching and reading in books. I can't pull out a book that's going to have the answer apart from, <laughs> I guess, yeah, there is one book I could pull out that has the answer, right? But even that, it's apart from Christ. I, I need the person of Christ brought near to me. These are his words revealed to us. And in these words, there are life. I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, but, but we're a little bit like this, dirt. In fact, I'm not the one that's putting it bluntly. The scriptures put it bluntly. They said, we are born from dust, and to dust we will return. We are, we are made of this dirt, and yet God's love is so great that that's not the end of the story. See, when you allow God into your life, he adds his own life to your dirt, and it becomes this healing balm so that we too can, like this blind man, declare, I, I was blind, but now I see. Right? So the question is, how does one spiritually allow Jesus to spit in the dirt, make mud, and apply this healing balm to our hearts that we too can see spiritually the way God intended us to see? Simply by faith. That's the easy answer, but it's the true answer too. Simply by faith and we're not just talking about a i think i once prayed a prayer when i was little sort of faith we're 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 talking about the a faith the faith of a mustard seed that grows into a tree larger than any plant in the garden sort of faith at the beginning of chapter 9 when we first read the verses there in chapter 9 the man born blind he's sitting outside the temple begging for money because he doesn't know what else to do he's not sure what else will actually help his situation he's sitting there doing what he's been doing day by day by day and by the end of chapter 9 this very same man is no longer sitting outside the temple begging for money he's on his knees worshiping jesus declaring that jesus is the son of man this doesn't happen in one quick moment I mean, it helps when we read the Scriptures and we read a chapter and we, we can kind of see uh, the beginning and the end all in one sitting. But for this man, it doesn't happen in one quick snapshot of a moment. It happens over time. It happens as the man trusts in Jesus more and more and learns that the more he seeks him, the more he knows him, the more he knows him, the more he loves him. This tiny mustard seed of faith started out with these baby steps of obedient trust, and, and they ended with this beautiful expression of worship before his Savior. Now, this isn't necessarily true for the other people in the chapter, right? If you look at the lives of, of his parents, uh, his parents were afraid of the Pharisees. Out of fear of man, they were not Obedient to trust Jesus, to seek Him, to know Him, and to love Him. For the Pharisees, they were blinded by their own anger. They were blinded by their own uh, need to control the, the the traditions in which they lived the the law, and so they neglected to see the spirit of the law of love at work in Jesus to heal a man who was born blind, sitting outside the temple. But for the man who was born blind, you can actually read the chapter and track how his faith grows, right? Uh, when Jesus put mud on his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Shalom, he obeyed. He got up, he went, washed his face off, and he came back seeing, right? I mean, that's as simple as John puts it. Step A, step B, step C. He, he didn't take any side, you know, side paths or anything like that. He didn't get distracted. He, he just did what Jesus said to do all right, I've got this mud on my eyes. I don't know what else to do, but go and wash my face off and, and, and see what happens. That was just the beginning, the, the early stages of his faith because after that, his faith grew that when he was under pressure of the Pharisees who had threatened to cast anyone out of the synagogue who declared Jesus to be the Savior, he's like, listen, I can't deny what happened. I'm not gonna, it's, it's more untrue for me to say to you that, that this man's a sinner than it is for me to say, this is what happened, and that's all I can declare. I don't know more about him than what I know and what I experienced. I was blind, and now I see. And so his faith grew because he was faithful to do what was right and what was true. (laughs) I'm a poet, and I didn't know it. That was not in my notes. I didn't intend to rhyme like that, but I'm kind of proud of myself. But then after he's been kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus finds him. Jesus finds this man. And and in this exchange of conversation, we hear the clearest expression of faith confessed to Jesus. Listen in verse 35. John writes this: He says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, he said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now something interesting is happening here because for the first time in at least in this passage, as we're being told, uh, this man is connecting the voice of the man who put mud on his eyes with the face of the man who is asking him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Right, there's this moment where uh, this man recognized Jesus' voice because he hadn't yet seen him, and now he sees him face to face. A- and in this moment, the, the man goes from, from, from this expression of, yeah, I want to know who the Son of Man is, to declaring, Jesus, you, you are the... You are the Son of Man. You have done a work of healing in my life. It's not just my physical sight, but my spiritual sight has been restored. That I can see you are not a sinner. You are more than a prophet. You are the one that our scriptures have spoken of who would come to restore sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Not only does he believe that that Jesus is this crossroad between heaven and earth that he is heaven brought near to us that we can that, that at this crossroad it 's where heaven and earth meet and we can be near and be with God, but he has this physical impulsive responses this, this reaction of worship that just springs forth there's been such a work in his heart it's not just that i seek god and know him but this love of god has bubbled up within him that it just shoots forth from him in worship that's what i believe worship is meant to be it's not an act where we are called to, uh, in, in a, an obligatory way, sit or stand, raise our hands, dance, do what, what we're told to do. It's As Clayton has said, it's, a, it's, it's something that comes from our heart. We are faithful to Jesus in our heart and responding to him in our lives. Because we can now see spiritually the way God intended us to, we can also respond the way God desires us to. In this relationship of love, it kind of reminds me of a time my, my son Max is playing flag football, and 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 I'm watching and I'm loving it, and I'm I you know in in this in the in the, the play, he takes the snap, he gets the ball, and he's, he runs it to the outside, and this is the first touchdown he's ever scored, and, and I'm watching, and and my attention isn't like time down here, time my shoe. My, my attention isn't like over something that someone in the crowd said over here. My attention is glued to him as I watch what he's doing. And then when when he scores a touchdown, it's like I, I, I mean, like I said, I'm not. My, my wife will shout, "Mike, Mike!" in an airport. I'm one who hides. I'm not one who typically is is very. Uh, um, outward with my actions and my emotions, usually, which may be surprising to some of you, but it's true. Uh, but, but when he scored that touchdown, it was like something came out of me that I had no control over. L- take a look, I think we've, we've still got the video. When I'm, when I'm having a hard day, I watch that video on repeat, right? it's great this is a moment of like i i I can't hold it in it's just got to come out is that what our worship is have have we have we become this man born blind who can now see because of the deep work that jesus has done in my life in my heart that when it comes to responding to him i can't hold it back i'm just so in love with jesus because I'm so attentive to what he's doing and what he has done, not just in my life, but in this world. Because that's why he came. Jesus came to seek and to save what is lost. And that comes in those moments when we need to recognize that that we are blind and in need of that help coming from outside of us and at work in our lives. See, there there are many things that grow in our world. Our grass, our belt sizes, Chia Pets. But nothing is more wonderful as it grows than our faith and trust in Jesus, as He heals what is broken inside and reveals not only to ourselves but to the world who God actually is. See, the the faith of a Christian is not summed up in a prayer that, that they once prayed when they were little. Letting Jesus apply His healing balm to our hearts so that we can see, is part of that. It's a very important and necessary beginning to entering into the family of God. But faith is something that continues day by day, every day after that, as we increasingly trust in and depend on and and obey Christ himself. This morning, maybe you relate most to the man born blind outside the temple. You woke up this morning, and and today's just like any other day, setting up shop, doing the same thing you've been doing every other day for as long as you can remember, hoping that one of these days, your circumstances will change. Your life will change. Something will happen that hasn't already happened. Maybe you relate to the man after he was healed, but you're not exactly sure what's going on yet. You just know that, that this is something special that happened. And so you're a little bit further down the path of faith and your faith growing. Maybe you relate most to the man on his knees worshiping Jesus. And and here's the thing. I would venture that that for many of us, that that not as many of us relate to the man at that point in his faith journey as we'd like to admit. That, That there are more of us who would like to be like this man on his knees with this unhindered worship of God. Well, regardless, don't don't let Satan's whisper of discouragement stop you from continuing to draw near to Jesus in faith. Keep listening to the life and the teachings of Jesus. Let this little mustard seed of faith that you have grow into a tree larger than any plant in the garden. Because we are all, spiritually speaking, like this man who was born blind. And only when we admit by faith that we are spiritually blind can Jesus place his healing mud upon our hearts that we might see, that that we might go from being blind to seeing and, and that our faith might grow from a mustard seed. See, the hope that we all long for in this world can only be found in only Jesus. Let's pray. Father, there is something very unique about this person This man, Jesus. And we know that what is so unique about him is he's not just a man. He is fully God and fully man. That that the creator has stepped down into creation to fix what is broken. So Lord, we confess. We confess that we are more blind than we'd like to admit. And that we are in need of your healing balm upon our hearts. Not only to help us see But to encourage us to live in obedience to you, Jesus, to walk with you, to to hear your invitation to follow me, and then we follow in faith. Lord, help us to grow. May we be be a, a fruitful garden. May this gathering of people be fertile ground for the gardening in our souls that needs to go on. May we trust Jesus to do that work. Because he is unique in all of creation, and all of history, bringing God together in man to heal what is broken and to help us see. We trust in you, Jesus. May you have your way in us. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. I don't do this very often, but we're going to call an audible real quick. We're going to sing that first song again. Over and over, Dan keeps saying, the more you seek him, the more you see him, the more you see him, the more you trust him. And I'm thinking about this man for whom Jesus anoints his eyes, which is a nice way of saying spit on his face, uh, and heals him. He was blind, and now he can see. I've often understood faith to be confidence through experience. Do you think when somebody asked that man, like, my arm hurts, my arm's broken. Do you think Jesus can heal this? How quickly did he say yes? Right? He's like, well, I was born blind. He healed me. I'm sure he could heal you. Because he's got a confidence. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would ask to see Jesus in more places, right? Because I know where I have seen him do something in my life, I am confident to tell others he can do it again. How many people here have ever been healed by Jesus? Raise your hands. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and for me, I don't mean like I took medicine, got healed, thank you, Jesus. I mean, like reoccurring, debilitating injury, my friends and team members prayed for me 24 hours later, problem solved. And that was 13 years ago. Never has this reoccurring injury come back. I had the same problem for seven years. Miracle. So when somebody goes, you think Jesus can fix this? I go, yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The number of times that Jesus has given me a promotion. I consider this a promotion and I took a pay cut to get it. But I consider this a promotion to be here with you. So when somebody goes, ah, things at work are just not good. Do you think Jesus can fix this? Yes. Yes, he can. Because I've seen him do it and I have faith in him. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would ask to see him more. That we would ask to see him more. So we're going to go back. We're going to sing that same refrain. The more I see you, the more I seek you, the more I find you. So let's double down on that this morning. Okay? Let this be a time of prayer, supplication. Let this, let this be a moment where you can ask Jesus to open your eyes to the things he's already done and to the things he's about to do.
0: Well, it went very well. Thanks, Robert. Robert is, not only has he become a new father during the quarantining of coronavirus, but he has continued to serve the Lord and serve our youth, and so very thankful for him. He's a great man of the Lord. It has been a joy to worship with you, and I, I, hope, I hope that we understand that part of what it means to gather both online and in person in fellowship together is to encourage one another as we walk by faith, as we learn to trust Jesus more and more and more, and as he reveals himself to us, the greatest miracle that can ever happen is the transformation of our lives, just like we see this transformation of this man's life, from being a beggar with no hope outside the temple to being a, an active worshiper of Jesus by the end of that very chapter. I believe that's true for in my life and in yours, that God wants to do that very same work. And it is a miraculous work that he will do. Let's close our time of worship with these words. That, that God may bring you grace, mercy, and peace. That his grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. Go in peace.